Welcome, oh listener, to an encore episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. That's right, we are going back in time, and I apologize, I just have not had time to put together another Through the Moongate episode for this week. It's just been frantically busy with work and real life and all that stuff. So instead, we're going to reach into the archives, we're going to go back in time to this week, the episode that came out this week back in 2018, and it was... Uh, it was another time, I will tell you that much. It starts as a discussion about Shroud of the Avatar and its projected launch date, which was in March of that year. And that kind of broadens out into a discussion of the game's technical merits and MMORPGs trying to act more like single-player games and how, you know, the experience of the single-player narrative in some of those games is maybe ruined or maybe isn't by, you know, having other players cluttering in the map. Um, we even talk about, like, Underworld Ascendant and the promise of, you know it because i think they had just dropped a trailer at the time that we had recorded that episode and they'd released some screenshots and, you know we were all kind of jazzed about how that game was shaping up and looking so like i say it was another time three years on you know we're looking back and saying wow oh my gosh like what happened to to both of those games really but three years ago yeah we were still kind of hopeful and, of course, we are still hosted on Anchor.fm. Uh, you can find us at anchor.fm slash podcast, newer, more social podcast hosting platform, now part of Spotify, actually. And, of course, you can find us at spam, 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 humbug.com as well. And as always, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our Patreon backers, patreon.com slash Ultima Codex, if you want to join their number. Thank you to everyone who supports us, the podcast, and the Ultima Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Golden Flame, Dominic, Violation, Helgrove, Gronk, Pascal, Thorwan, and now, John. John, thank you so, so much for your contribution to the podcast. Big thanks to you, sir. All right, that's enough for me. Let's jump back in time and get on with the show. I, for one, I'm curious about seeing uh, how the game handled uh, offline as it was one of the features I waited for when it was first announced on Kickstarter. I think when it launches, it's just going to wind up on the pile of games that I've been meaning to play and that I expect to get to once I finally finish my own game. And coincidentally, that will give them time to add the additional polish that still won't be done in time for their official launch. Well, March seems very fast for me for the the balance issues we have to tackle with for the offline game. I mean, they announce companions and game balance and economy balance in in the offline game. I'm not sure. That, <clears throat> I'm not sure that will be ready in March. But let's be surprised. I haven't been in the game very much over you know its development. I placed the house when the time came to do that and therefore played through the first like two scenes that you need to get through before you can get to the map and then I just ran away from everything so I don't know what the balance is like I haven't been uh, yeah. paying very close attention I must say I didn't connect in the last three months but even then the game right now handles like a, a, a MMO and like Ultima Online, so usually you have to be in a party to uh, to expect to defeat complex encounters. Um, this is the map. Uh, you can be alone, but uh, doesn't always work well. I'm especially worried about uh, uh, quest lines and hints, uh, how it will handle. Uh, I mean, I played uh, recently uh, World of Warcraft again, and Say what you want about the game, but uh, I understand that Richard Garriott is not uh, very fond of the way they handle directions and immersion the game. But damn, it's easy. It's easy to follow quests, directions. And sometimes in Shroud of Avatar, it's just, you're just left out in the cold, wondering what you have to do. And I don't need a, a big uh, arrow pointing, uh, pointing in dire direction. Oh, 
quest marks, uh, question marks on the top of head of people. I can I can ask questions to people in the game without that. But once I start a quest, I expect it to be not not a second game of guessing what the quest wants me to do. And it's it's interesting because that was one of the things that you know the the Grognard class the these the subset of the people who are in it for the single game experience that are in it for the old Ultima style experience, you know, they very much were who was being catered to with, there won't be a quest log. There won't be an arrow pointing where you're going, Uh, you know, figure it out, take notes, do all the things that are old games needed. And of course they've backed away from a lot of that, but you know that was there was a not as vocal as the online community i think but a vocal portion of the people who'd come into it from the single player side that really wanted that i i understand the feeling because well i, I was there i played these games uh, i i used a, a little notebook to take notes yeah but this was 30 years ago and and I expect some evolution of my games. I mean, if I wanted a Gognite experience, I could ask for 2D assets or 8 or 16-bit graphics. And, and I, I can have them in, in modern games too, as you know, particularly. But, uh, but then there's a phrasing of a quest. And I, you can compare a, a game's as huge as Shroud of the Avatar is with so many people and the confusing uh, the con- and the difficulty of orientation in 3D, uh, in 3D games with the simplicity of 2D and having uh, only a dozen of NPCs or places to go in, in all the games. I mean, when I was looking for an information in Ultima 5 or Ultima 4 or Ultima 6, it was it was pretty obvious where I want, where I needed to go, and it wasn't. I knew what I what I needed to uh, to find. Uh, let's say, uh, let's give an example. In Ultima Six, you have to find the the lost one of the lost mantras, uh, if you remember. And there's a book in the in the in the Moonglow um, library. That you have to find, I think, uh, if I remember well. well. It's pretty obvious what you're looking for, and it's pretty simple to find a book called The Book of Lost Mantras. Well, in Shroud of the Avatar, for one of the quests, we have to hunt a book, the, the original edition of a book, somewhere in the world. I'm, I'm sorry, somewhere in the world is not uh, an answer. You have to get at least broad direction of places you can start. And there's no way of getting this information right now in the game. You just say, hey, please, find me three original books. Go. Well, yes, but that's not something that I want the game giving me as direction. The same goes for everything, Shran. You're giving very broad direction and please just go around and wonder what you want to do. I, I don't ask them to, to give me a, a broad arrow of, uh, or uh, uh, a golden halo around the book. I can, I can understand that. But at least I should, should know the town or the, the broad region where, where I have to, uh, to go. Because uh, if, you, no, if you play the bit in, in Shroud, you, um, you will know that uh, moving around is complicated. You have to uh, to uh, to go on foot, and when you change uh, regions, you have to go through uh, gauntlets with enemies and run around or be killed and expect to spawn in in a place where you can uh, where you can cheat the game of uh, of forcing you going through uh, uh, a very specific path. Yeah, it sounds like uh, while there's not any inherent reason why the old school style could you could not continue to work 
that it would require a much better um, direction given as a thing given to your character directly. Yes. As opposed to giving the player arrows and such. On the other hand, it's also worth considering that in the Ultima games and such, the old games that did that and that didn't give you an arrow had worlds that were a tenth the size of the Soda Lands. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a thing I think they didn't consider. But, well, in my opinion, uh, I may be... Maybe alone in this, <laughs> in this, uh, in this opinion, but it's mine. Um, they didn't really did a good quest system in uh, in the original uh, Ultima Online. I mean, it was just here in the world. Please go around and do what you want. And they started doing quests more in MMO types in uh, in the previous. Uh, in previous Richard Garriott games, uh, <coughs> Tabula Rasa, uh, but but again, it was not the same team uh, doing Tabula Rasa, so so it's not the same expectations. And yeah, yeah, it's sometimes it's, well, it's just not clear what you are expected to do. I, I mean, well, and and again, uh, while I understand that uh, that they they want to to muddle the things by not giving you very uh, very strong directions um, i i still don't feel any uh, urgency in the game to uh, to go complete any quest or or follow uh, any storyline right now i mean yes you have uh, you have to go on the on one of the path of virtue uh, to, to complete the chapter one, but from the moment you arrive in the world, well, well yes, okay, there was this conflict, but beyond that, there's no sense of urgency. I think there are two schools of how the animals are made. Uh, one of them is to, uh, how should I put it? One of them is to put a single-player game inside a multiplayer environment which is the way most of the most of the game designers for mmos are going and there are very few like uh, uh, ultima online minecraft and others in which there it's the sort of sandbox there are there's not a single player game in there it's all uh, or not not necessarily a single player game but it's something where you don't have an an objective or something that makes you win there's just so much stuff you could do and lots of crafting and and things very simple things that you do which in them by themselves create a sort of story a story of sorts or they are a sort of reward by themselves, and that's something that uh, I think it needs to be explored more. You you are right, um, and the separation between the two types came early on in the MMO history. It's EverQuest versus Ultima Online, and sadly, or not, depending on your opinion, we s- we see now where we are going. Uh, Sandbot games. Are great, uh, but they are not for everyone. Uh, and and yes, uh, the, the the solo game parts. While I agree that most of the MMO designer go there today, is something new in the game industry because until the last five six years, um, MMO games were games where we were expected to, at a certain time in the game, uh, adventure with your friends uh, of, or people you want to be with online. And be it in a sandbox game or be it in a more uh, EverQuesty type MMO game. And I think that they want to cater to a wider audience uh, to get the money of people who don't have time or social kill- skills to uh, to gather a group of friends and play the MMO 
and that's the reason why we see uh, more and more experience in World of Warcraft or in Star Wars: The Old Republic, for example, uh, or Wildstar. If you if you played one of these, uh, with quests who are on a quest line who are dedicated to a single player experience. You still have multiplayer um, re requirements for things like uh, dungeons or epic encounters or world quest bosses and things like that. And it's a huge part usually of the game too. Uh, but there's a, there's a core of the story that is accessible for, for single player. And one of the things that Schroeder the Avatar advertised during the initial Kickstarter was Richard Garriott returning to, uh, to do uh, a classic role-playing game. And classic role-playing game is a single-player experience. It's not the same thing as a sandbox MMO, which is a completely different uh, thing. And I feel that, that it's changed over time um, I'd say very quickly because between the end of the Kickstarter and the start of the development, it was very clear that the, that the Steam was not a single-player experience and more on the online, online community game uh, that Shroud would be. And it's very, very clear from the get-go that the, the energy was uh, put in developing assets and way of monetizing the game uh, versus uh, developing a very current and very interesting story. And my hope is that now that we're getting all uh, out of, uh, of uh, early access, we'll see more development uh, behind the story of the game. Because right now, it's not very engaging. Uh, and yes, I can play the game um, with either on solo or with other players, but it's designed around player economy and player groups and going on with, uh, with friends. And I feel that uh, someone who's coming out of, uh, let's say, World of Warcraft or EverQuest or any more classic modern MMO and want to try Shroud of the Avatar and base expecting some of uh, playing the game, will be very disappointed uh, if, if they believe that they will find an experience similar to what they had in other mainstream MMOs. And uh, I'm worried about the commercial success beyond the Kickstarter. Uh, and the um, and the telephones they do every every other other week uh, to 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 be uh, to to give uh, Richard Garriott and his team the ability to to do the other chapters of the game. That's definitely a uh, worthy worry. I hope that they do manage to polish it enough between the next two months uh, to make it. And engaging, even if it at that point is unbalanced or unfinished, the important thing is to make someone play it and then the next day want to play it again. Once they've got that, so long as they don't, you know, have somebody run out of things to do too quickly, then they have a little more time to turn it into um, something that's more finished, that has more balance, that has more content, that has side things that are fleshed out that are, you know, more crafting stuff that isn't strictly necessary to quote unquote winning the first chapter. Uh, you know, I don't know to what extent their development budget for the next chapter is going to be dramatically lower than, than this, because it's going to use, it's going to be very unultima and use the same engine. Uh, in as much as they intend to just add more to the world and then let you go back and forth between where you are and, and where you will be able to be then and play things, you know, out of order or, or whatever, which is its own challenge. Um, you know, hopefully they'll need some additional 3D art assets so that places on another continent can have a different art style for their towns or something. 
but uh, you know they're they're not going to get any of that if they don't get enough people invested in the game to not only buy the first chapter but to care that there are further chapters. Well, uh, the the pure RPG crowd is able to uh, to 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 have enough money to, uh, to to give enough money to publisher to to if the game is good to get additional chapter out. Just look at Shadowrun Returns or Pillars of Eternity or um, what is it called? Uh, the game came out recently. Um, Divi- uh, Divinity 2 who came out just uh, last year too. These are games that are built up on the reputation of the previous games. And because the games were good, people were okay to shell out ex- extra money to get the new game. But these games are not MMOs. They are uh, offline role-playing games. Uh, they have uh, they have shared assets but have been successful in what they do. I'm not sure that the direction Shroder the Avatar is going is going very easy to uh, to expand on it. I mean, you talk about uh, cities and f- fields about the city. Well, it's one of the big issues I have with Shroder the Avatar. I mean, since 90% of a, of a city in Shroud is player housing, there's no real sense of, uh, of uh, uh, um, how to say that, a traditional building types and things like that in the game. Yes, there are building types, and there are center of towns or NPCs of very specific layout for towns. But because the players are able to use every type of building in any city, it's really a, a, a mix of types rather than giving you a very regional feeling for the city, if you, uh, if you, if you, if you see what I mean. And then there's the problem of endgame or character progression. In short of the Avatar, because it's, it's trying to mix the two types of MMOs, that is, uh, the types of MMO of sandboxy, and the type of MMO that gave you quests and expect you to progress in power level to finish the quest, um, you don't have this uh, this uh, ability to to loot uh, new stuff, which will make you better in the game, which uh, will then give you access to more complex quests or more difficult quests. Right now, uh, the way your character levels it's in skill level. And beyond that, you have either to craft yourself something or find somebody who will be able to uh, craft you some new stuff. And, well, yes, it's a player economy, but it's very complicated because uh, you, uh, you have to discuss with other people, find these people, or, or, or um, use... Your precious free time run to uh, to do uh, crafting rather than questing in the game. So it's it's a very demanding experience, and it's not something everybody is going to be okay to do. Well, um, I have my opinion in regards to quests. Uh, I have to divert here, but I think many games have so many quests, and they are just very stupid quests repetitive things without any imagination at all and uh, 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 maybe harsh in my opinion but I think those quests are precisely directed at people they are quests without any imagination or creativity at all and they are directed precisely at people without any imagination or creativity at all by themselves because that's the that's what what made Ultima Online special. That you you had there was nobody telling you what to do. You could do what you wanted, and it all depended on your imagination. 
it all depended on you looking for friends, you making friends, uh, forming a guild or sorts, and uh, meeting other people, uh, getting to know each other. And that's precisely what MMOs are about. And the other side of the MMOs, the one about the quests and all those activities and and going to dungeons and fighting monsters which give you uh, more powerful gear, that's a single-player game. That's not an MMO. It doesn't belong to the MMO world, but it's there. And that's a sort of cancer. That's doing more harm than good to the MMO genre. It's, it's like... Uh, What they are doing is they are creating single-player games, single-player experiences, making them free-to-play, and then adding lots of crap and stuff to sell (coughs) in order to milk the money out of the players. There are very few who actually bother about making the game something more, more massively multiplayer, something really social and if we go back to the to the roots of classical rpgs i'm talking about classical rpgs not the not the console or computer rpgs there's a sort of player economy there even if it's a very microscopical economy because there's only one party of players but they sometimes they don't have the magical items they need and they have to find a wizard to, or a craftsman to do to craft what they need, or they have to create their own wizard character with the crafting skills to to create those items. So, and that's a a multiplayer on a very small scale, and that uh, is uh, still a how should I say? It's a very poor. It's very poorly implemented on most MMOs, and one of the MMOs on which it has, uh, uh, to my taste, a good, a very good crafting, a very good, complex and flexible crafting system, which which uh, is relevant to the players and uh, is sometimes even more desirable than whatever magical item a world boss or powerful creature can give you, is Ultima Online. Well, I understand, um, but I I disagree on a point. Um, You can have quests, and you can have uh, uh, a group experience. I mean, it was early on, it was EverQuest 1. Uh, Remember, EverQuest 1 is released one year after Ultima Online, so it's, it's concurrently in time the same the same crowd but uh, my first experience with Ultima Online is being pick player killed I mean uh, I was running around I, I didn't have much in the way of gold I was trying to to use my my skills to to get something out of the wilderness and well I just got PK'd and after that it was very difficult to get my body because because of monsters, because of it, uh, of people, uh, cops sitting my uh, my body, and in the end, I lost my body because it decayed and lost uh, all my precious stuff. And maybe we're seeing it with rosy glasses, but early on, Ultima Online or or EverQuest, uh, dying was a real punishment because you had you you were naked. You didn't have your stuff. You had to run back, and usually, what killed you was still there. EverQuest had this uh, had added a layer of story in the game that didn't exist in Ultima uh, Online uh, by adding quests. And if the first, well, let's say, free level of uh, EverQuest allowed you to play a single-player game, well, very quickly. They directed you to 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 menace uh, monsters that you had 
to be in group to kill. And the early EverQuest experience and any game based on the EverQuest framework that came later on, I'd say until the late 2000s, was very demanding and asked for groups and guilds to be formed to ad- just advance in the game. You couldn't solo the content. Uh, you could try, yes. And maybe if you were lucky, you could, you could get maybe 10% or 20% of the game through as a solo player. But you had to pick friends and to pick people. And because of the loot system in these games, uh, which are random and which are um, bound to the character, you have to, to find people who are truly your friends and will not ninja loot you, uh, your mo- the, the mob you just killed. And there's a lot of things going through uh, that that required to be to be trusting and to have to have friendly people. And yes, even in games like EverQuest, you could role play your character in role playing friendly guilds. Now, about uh, the ability to create content and go on adventure like you would do in traditional pen and paper role-playing games. It's something I desirable, but it's very complicated to do because you have to have someone who will have more power than other players in the group to handle uh, the, the, the framework of a quest. And that's something that doesn't exist anymore in role-playing games. It existed in all the online. Uh, but right now, it's something that, that won't exist in Shroud again. It's people, maybe on the payroll of the company, who are there to create dynamic and one-of-a-kind experience by, by creating a, a challenge that won't exist on this server of the game and just exist for, for a couple of hours when the console, let's call it that, exists in the game. And maybe it can spawn uh, uh, a sword with a different looking skin. It won't give you extra power. It won't give you, would transform you in, in a munchkin. But you just uh, a different color, a uh, swap color, swap palette of, of a sword, for example, that you can drag around with, with your friends when you when you, when you are around. And it's something I can, that maybe you can do with crafting. Of with guilds telling your friends, let's go in the dungeon of doom and beat some Balrog, if you will. But it won't have this, 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 um, how to say that, overreaching, uh, feeling that you did something for the game world. You'll do something for yourself and be with your friends. That's perfectly, perfectly good. But, if you want to have the same type of player agency that you have in uh, role-playing games uh, around the table with your friends and your game master, you have to someone in the game, in the video game, to be a game master too, uh, handling monsters and giving you uh, uh, quest lines that are more appropriate for your players. And that's something that doesn't exist, neither in... Shroud of the Avatar, nor in Ultima Online right now. They don't have the money or the people to do that. So, usually people expect uh, some part of the storylines to force them to be together with other people. And it's one of the features that I want to, uh, to uh, be uh, put in light with Shroud of the Avatar. One of the online mods is play with your friends. And how will that be handled in discussions, in, uh, in quest advancements? I mean, it's, if it's just one player who takes a quest and everybody who tags along, well, I don't need a friends-only mod. What, what will be the combat balance? What will be the, the way quests are given to players? Will it be different from a single-player game? And from an MMO game, or will it just be the MMO game, but just with a friends list? Uh, well, uh, what's the point? I, I don't know. Some of that does kind of encapsulate the just a couple of the different 
groups of people that they've managed to try to market soda to, but that are going to have mutually exclusive interests in the final product, uh, or at best at the moment, interests that uh, they can really only afford to go in one direction or the other. And right now it is very much uh, something that could be played around in a sandbox. Um, like I said, I haven't been on it in a while, but uh, it, it will need to have direction. It, it, like All of the things that make it a good sandbox are things that are irrelevant for the crowd that are coming in from the single player side that want uh, a story. And I wish them the best of luck with it. It's a difficult position to be in. Uh, you know, they need to pay their designers and developers and artists somehow. And so they need to do what, you know, they're, they're going to do. It, it seems like, uh, unlike some other prominent Kickstarter projects, that it does, you know, they are making forward progress. They are putting out a new build once a month or however often that does have something different, something better, and people are playing it and having a good time. So hopefully they can expand how many people can play it and have a good time, not in like a server load, but as in right now, the people who look for what it offers are already there. I hope that they do manage to, uh, when they formally launch, to have the people that are already there actually show up. And stick around. Most importantly, I I really expect the game to uh, to succeed. But uh, one of the one of the feature of the game, which is very complicated when you when you are not a dedicated player, is uh, the crafting system. I mean, you the, the the online game version, not the single player game, but the online game version really expect you to to play the the crafting game. Uh, what I Want to say is that um, you are even expected to get the resources and craft some parts yourself, or uh, discuss player economy with other players and buy them uh, buy them stuff. Uh, and yes, you can buy uh, normal stuff from from uh, from merchant NPC, but um, it costs you so much and. I don't know if it changed recently, but uh, you don't get much money in the game, so uh, you you won't be able to to accumulate uh, a fortune in gold pieces and buy whatever you want. You this is uh, intention of you specializing in some sort of crafting and use it in the player market to. Uh, to, to get the money or the exchange you for other stuff you want. It's it's obvious, like it was in uh, Ultima Online, that uh, players uh, will, some of them, will just be happy to, to go uh, around getting getting resources in mines and, and melt, smelting their, their ore and crafting their stuff. If you're not interested in this kind of economy, uh, which is is a market even for for sandboxy people. Well, it's gonna be difficult. It's gonna be difficult because uh, your stuff will be uh, wearing out, and you have to repair it. And again, repairing it is either with other players or with kits of uh, that you can buy for a hefty sum. Uh, and yes. It's going to be an interesting time uh, to see what what they will change. Again, um, you, you have to, uh, to to accept that uh, sandbox MMO have a very different crowd, and either in person or in number, than most mainstream MMOs today. So it's a smaller community, and you can expect them to shell out the same kind of money that more broad appealing uh, audio to, uh, games like Wildstar, which is a difficult position, um, uh, World of Warcraft, EverQuest, EverQuest 2, and, uh, and more classic games. I, I, and I don't expect them to be able to get that. 
But the question is, if they don't get a certain number, uh, certain number of person buying the game and playing the game, uh, will they be able to to have enough uh, money assets to keep the interest level in the game? Even if they if they take time to release chapter two and subsequent chapter of the game, you still have to get releases, not with just uh, just uh, just just more uh, uh, more polishing, but more stuff in the game. And usually, what uh, what other mainstream games do is by, uh, that that they have a, a story cycle. We want to release for a version of the game, then they release an expansion pack, uh, which will cost you some money, and use some of that money uh, to, uh, to to pay for the next uh, next releases that we go around. And Shadow of the Avatar has to go this way if they want to to keep the interest of the people, because even if you have the sandboxy type, well. Uh, not everybody will have uh, time to, uh, to play this sandbox type game uh, for all the life. I mean, uh, you, gr- you grow up, you get a family, you get you change of job, and sometimes you just have time to devote to be in a sandboxy game. Have, sometimes I have hardly time to play a single player game. Sometimes I have six months between the last save game and restarting the game. So. Uh, so it's it's a fleeting experience, and you have to take that in account to mm-hmm. to to how to rehand you are the money you get from players on how you will invest it because players interested in Shroud of the Avatar when it was announced may already not have enough time to play it right now because it because of the time of developments. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can give you the other side of the coin. There. Well, um, not uh, well. Be blunt. MMOs and sandbox games are not for casual players. They are for dedicated players, and a dedicated player will consume a game content in matters of a single month or maybe two. They will be at the top of the game by that time, and they will have nothing else to do by then. Yeah, and that's an issue with most MMOs. And I'd say it's the same thing with single-player games. Um, if you're a really dedicated player in single-player games, not MMOs, you have you will consume the game in a matter of weeks. And then you have to decide if you want to restart the game and check new quest direction that you didn't choose before. Or not, and that's why some games are very, very interesting in in the broad direction they give in the player and the ability to change the way they play the game. And MMOs, uh, more classic MMOs, um, do that with handling uh, end game content with dungeon raiding or PvP and and sandbox games. Are there to give you the way to 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 do that with more uh, do it yourself? But then for people who and I'm not a casual gamer, but I don't have the same kind of time I have right now. I want to play these games. I, I like to be dedicated, but I have a family and a life, and 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 then again. Dedicated player for more classic MMOs won't won't be interested. I mean, I have I have, I have good friends who are much younger than me and have much more time who play uh, Dungeon and Reds and are part of uh, of a guild in World of Warcraft and they're pretty dedicated. They are here every other night, but they don't care about crafting. You you see, it's very different. It's it's dedicated players. Players, sure, but dedicated players with different mindsets. And when I was I playing Ultima Online, with no interest at all, I I know of players with no yeah. interest at all on combat, which are yes. their main but, interest is is crafting. And that that's very great. And that's that's what I said before. You have to have a guild which can 
which can support your type of play. And that was something very, very, very strong in early Ultima Online. Right now, it's difficult because most of the code uh, disappeared from Ultima Online. Or it's very, it's, it's, it depends on the servers, depends on the people you know, but um, it's it's not the same appeal for for the wide. I, I don't know, don't see, not dedicated, but wider audience. And one of the things that I think is missing, well, it exists in a different form, but in Ultima, in a short of the Avatar, that existed in Ultima Online, is that <coughs> you could have your, 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 your guild to, to really craft your guild hall. Uh, and and that, that's something, I think, that doesn't exist in any other game except Ultima Online. The ability to have a house the way you want it to be. In Shroud, you buy a template of a house and you can furnish it inside uh, if, you are, if you have the money to buy, buy it. But in Ultima Online, you, you could really craft your castle like you want, provided you have the money and the, the resources. And I, I don't know if player-owned towns have the same kind of feeling that you hold guild hall in Ultima Online. I, but again, I'm working all the day. I'm not interested in working when I'm going to play a game, if you if you will. And it's it's okay. My type of play is based on exploration. I like to explore. I don't like to do quests for doing quests or PvP combat. Uh, and everybody is happy with what what we, we expect. So, in short of the Avatar, for example, I like to enter in new scenes and see how they are different from other scenes I was in. Sometimes it's, it's me running around because the monsters are too powerful for me, but I just like to explore, explore a new place, and it's perfectly okay. Now, the uh, next big and possibly related question, if we actually have anything to say about it, has, has anyone poked around in uh, Underworld Ascendant? Well... Right now, and of the end of all the assonance is is just videos, <laughs> so we don't have much to, um, to talk about. I think I'm really expecting the game to be to be uh, what we said before, uh, good at offering you div- uh, diverse ways of uh, of winning winning you out of a situation, like they. They showed in multiple uh, occasions in the game. Uh, to, to compare it with the MMO, where it was, where it's more of a of a linear experience. Uh, Underworld Ascendants is preparing you to uh, to use your brain to get out of any situation that you will be thrown uh, thrown uh, in. There is a uh, pre-alpha build that's available to certain levels of backers, but I have not tried to poke at it. I wasn't sure if anybody else here, of which there are not that many, anyway, uh, had managed to poke at it or not. I didn't invest enough money in in Underworld to get that access right now. And the, the, uh, the videos do look pretty good, I'm was dubious at first about the art style shift that happened, you know, a year or so now yeah. at this point. But it does actually like when that's how the whole world looks. Um, it does look pretty good. I like it, uh, but I haven't I haven't had a chance to like poke at the build or do more than just read their occasional press releases and you know the the PAX video or whatever that one was. Yeah. It's it's a, it's a very beautiful game from what we see. No, uh, I really expect it to uh, to be a, a good game uh, and challenging for 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 expectations. But what I'm interested, yes and no, is to see how we will handle uh, the Britannia and New Britannia connection. Um, uh, we know that uh, the elves, the dark elves from Underworld, uh, are connected to the dark elves of New Britannia, and because of uh, people like uh, like uh, oh, 
Oh, he's called the evil sorcerer in Ultima Underworld. Um, uh, Tybalt? Tybalt, yes. But Tybalt will be returning in the game. So it's the s- expected to be the same uh, Red Stage and Abyss that was worked, uh, destroyed in the, at the end of the first game. So uh, I, I don't know. I'm curious. It's been to destroyed see. a lot. Yeah. But uh, it, ex- it, it was set to exist for thousands of years before before Britannia. So we'll, we'll see. I'm I'm very very interested in this game. Uh, I don't know what we'll what we get out of it, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. I and mean, once again, it's just gonna end up on the pile of games that I backed on Kickstarter and and won't have time to play for another year. But uh, um, yeah, I'm I'm. I am very curious, you know, I expect, given some of the people that are working on it, that while we don't know very much about it, they've only teased things like Tabaltui returning and Caribus is around, you know, Caribus's ghost is there and stuff like that. Um, but I anticipate there being a strong story yeah. uh, and a uh, rich and f- fortunately limited world to explore and, and learn things about. I I would expect that the connection to each of Britannia and New Britannia is something that we'll see things about in corners and at edges and for you know explorers and, and lore seekers to find and go, I see what you did there, I see how that connects, rather than like a mass exodus to or from New Britannia being a key plot point or them talking about much of anything that happened in the Ultima series beyond that uh, Ultima Underworld 1 happened. I I would not be surprised if the name Lord British never comes up, although I also wouldn't be too surprised if it did since it's divorced from the rest of the Ultima IP. Yeah. And yes, two things about that. Um, Underworld has the support of Richard Garriott, and they did some cross uh, promotional items. Uh, right. So I I expect the tie to New Britannia to be easier to spot in the game than the tie to the original Britannia still under license uh, from Electronic Arts. I agree. Um, Sorry, guys. Um, uh, yet, uh, yet, Ultima Online was really... Um, uh, oh, Ultima Online. Oh, I'm sorry. Ultima Underworld was really divorced, uh, in, especially the first game from the from the main Britannian storyline. I mean, uh, it, it it never pops in before, never pops in after. Uh, the whole there's no there's there's no uh, indication. In Ultima 7, that uh, Vestigian Abyss has been destroyed, or that the, the town that was next to the, to the Abyss was was destroyed, and it, n- neither in uh, in-game assets nor in dialogues. Right. So it's 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 a not thing in the game. I won't say it like it's like Mondrash, but uh, <laughs> but it's it's ver- it's very separated. While uh, Ultima Underworld 2 is very, very uh, deeply connected to the rest of the Guardian saga, uh, this game is, is so different. It's, it's a good game, uh, the original one. I really loved it. But, but I never popped any, any time for that. Same goes for, um, for uh, Savage Empire and Martian Dreams. Which are adventure you have when you are not in Britannia, but they are never referenced after that either. Yeah, and you know, I for one, when I was growing up and playing all the Ultimate games, I skipped the worlds of and the underworlds entirely at the time. Um, I, you know, the the worlds of were just so bizarre that that was easy to just decide. Okay, this obviously isn't a main part of the experience, and you know, I'm. 14 or however old I was when they came out. So it was kind of easy to decide not to spend my allowance on them. <laughs> I, I understand that. 
Underworld, man, that one came I saw the ads for that in like, you know, Dragon Magazine or whatever. And the, it, it, it bugged me at the time because it's like the abyss was already destroyed once. Yeah. So, and that's even before the, the abyss is destroyed because when, when they took the codex out, and then it's back, and then it blows up again, and then it's back in nine again. And it's just like, for God's sake, people, make up your mind. Um, yeah. yeah, but back back in back in the nineties, um, I I bought my first Ultima game, which was Ultima Five, at at uh, at a local candy shop, which was uh, the same thing as uh, as a Radio Shack in the US. That's right. Yeah. Uh, and uh, um, I didn't have a PC to play the game, so I was looking at the, the discs and reading the manuals for a long time. And uh, a couple of years later, my father uh, had, a, had, a, had, a comp- had a PC, and I totally missed out uh, the release of Ultima 6. Uh, by the time uh, I had the money to buy Ultima 6, Ultima 6 was not in the in the game stores anymore because it was the way it worked back then. And the next installment of the Ultima series was not Ultima 6, it was Ultima Savage Empire. <laughs> so uh, after Ultima 5, my, my, my next Ultima game was Savage Empire. And I, I love this game um, uh, because of uh, the way, they, the change they did uh, in the game, allowing you to... and uh, the world of games, uh, despite of their weirdness, still had this, um, this core component of uh, world interaction that existed in, in many Ultima games. And to, to piggyback on the discussion we had on MMOs and Stupid Quest, I agree. But it's very complicated to do meaningful quests in MMOs. Uh, because it's a static world, and you don't have the same way uh, of handling quests as you have in, in single player. Let's say if you, if you have to find parts to power a drill and to, uh, to destroy rock to go in a, in a mine, in a single player game, it's, it's very easy with uh, air, mar- air quotes to do. In an MMO game, it's, it's possible too, but you have to respawn the, the rocks and have to uh, take into account that everybody uh, can be uh, behind you and complete the quest at the same time, and so only one player can have the thing. It's, it's possible, but it will never have the same, uh, the same impact in the game world that you have in a single player. Because you can change the, envi- the environment. Uh, events like, uh, like the release of the Banes in Ultima 7 can never, diff- will be difficult to happen in an MMO world. Because, because you can just kill uh, a whole town and get away with it. Other players will come around and will need to access to, the, to these NPCs. And yes, you can have phasing, but you, uh, you won't give the, well, they won't give a shit because um, the, the thing is people will exist in different phases and sometimes you have to, to go on with a friend who are not as advanced as you are in the quest and it won't be the same thing in the same place. It's, it's, it's complicated. Um, and so to get back to Ultima Underworld, um, when Ultima Underworld uh, was released, I didn't have a uh, powerful PC configuration to play it, but uh, but uh, I was a couple of years later when it was re-released on CD-ROM, and God, this game worked. Uh, finding the runes, uh, trying to to uh, to create uh, new spells out of the blue, because um, you you were not limited uh, by the sp- you weren't limited by the spell list, but you were not limited by uh, by uh, actually uh, uh, knowing the spell. You could try to create new spells, and there was uh, a number of secret spells in the game, uh, and that was something new at the time. And I don't think any of the game l- l- let you create spells out of the fly, like it, 
Ultimate Wars. Well, five had one or two, but yeah. But um, well, what was it? Um, that was an MMO. Um, uh, Ashwin's Call, the first game. Yeah, I was going to point that one out too. Yeah, uh, Ashwin's Call, the first game. Uh, when you were a mage, uh, it was it was a mini game in itself because you had to have implements and regions and things like that. And depending on the power of the spell you wanted to to discover, uh, the type of spell you wanted to cast, you had to uh, to have to have everything around and create your spell. And it was something very interesting. I think that the Elder Scrolls uh, single player game let uh, did let you uh, create spells to at least in uh, in the first two games, if I remember well. So my point is, well, we'll see you know, if Ultima Underworld, well, if Underworld Ascendant will will have the same kind of agency uh, in uh, in uh, letting you handling spells uh, and maybe runes uh, in a freeform way. It certainly does sound like something that they would like to do. They've been talking it up like that might be. You know, with, with with how and it's something that I was disappointed in uh, Tabula Rasa um, because uh, d- did you play the game? I did not. Okay, um, Tabula Rasa mm-hmm. had these these uh, powerful uh, supernatural psychic powers that you could develop as as a player class, and some of the requirements was uh, was uh, finding wound types word. Uh, Called Logos, uh, uh, and I expected something of a way of handling this Logos uh, because combining them together uh, uh, was a requirement to 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 to, de- to unlocking the ability of your character. So you had to to hunt for for places, uh, mini dungeon or secret low places or things like that where. Uh, Logos were located and um, find them because you, before you were able to use some of your powers. Not all of them, but some of them were recurrence. And I totally, I totally expected to uh, to be able to uh, to handle this 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 logos uh, abilities um, in a more freeform type like runes, and it was not. But that's uh, an anecdote. <laughs> Anyhow, it's six thirty in the morning for me, so I will have to to leave you. Maybe uh, I have maybe five or ten more minutes to go. If you are a subject you want to to discuss, I for one am good. I think we've hit some uh, some high points, and hopefully said a couple of things that are uh, possibly someone might consider interesting. Yeah. We can let uh, Kenneth take this and put an intro and an outro on it. Yeah, just because I may may have been the devil's advocate earlier in this discussion, I I really do like sandboxy game, but I feel that it's it's a demanding type of game that that uh, that not everybody will like, and that's that's my concern here. Um, I I really want Shroud of the Avatar to to be successful because I'm curious uh, because I'm an explorer at heart. Uh, to see what Richard uh, has in in waiting for the, the later chapter in the games, but I, I fear that if if it's not successful enough, uh, we'll never see this uh, materializing. And that's a reasonable fear, but that I hope winds up being unfounded. Yeah, they have the, they now have the technology and the assets, the basic assets for the game. Um, what they uh, and I understand that it's not everybody's state, taste, but obviously Richard Garriott wants to tell a story. So there are some parts of questing that will exist beyond the sandboxy type of, uh, of Shroud of the Avatar. And, and I want him to, to be able to, to distance himself from what existed with Ultima without... Uh, Without completely uh, making a 180, um, uh, uh, because when you play Shroud, there are there are reminiscing things about Ultima, virtues, virtue quest, and discussion about 
about uh, how the virtues were lost and avatars and things like that. And even the world itself uh, is hinted as being uh, a possibility of what is left of Britannia uh, after the events of Ultima Nine. It was the subject of another uh, SSH podcast. But um, and I really want him to to, to to go in that direction and, and maybe do an unofficial, an unofficial sequel to his to his main Ultima series with Shroud and the different chapters. But we'll we'll have to wait and see. If you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at udic.org, where at you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter or join them on Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam 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 Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash ultimacodex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam 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 Humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spamspamspamhumbug.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous. Be virtuous.